0: From Portland, Oregon, this is the Jewish Review Podcast. I'm Rocky Roll. Coming up this episode, anti-Semitism has been an increasing issue for years, particularly on American college campuses. In this, the second of two episodes exploring how anti-Semitism is manifesting in Oregon post-October 7th, I spoke with the executive directors of Oregon's two chapters of Jewish campus organization HILO. First. Hannah Sherman from Greater Portland Hillel discusses the particular challenges Jewish college students are facing on campuses here in Portland. Then I checked in with Andy Gittleson at Oregon Hillel, which serves both of my alma maters, Oregon State and the University of Oregon. He shared what he's seen in the last few months, a different experience from many campuses. Both stories are important to hear as the war rages on in Israel and here at home. Stay with us. The Jewish Review Podcast is brought to you by the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland, presenting Voices from Israel. Now expanded into February, this webinar series will bring a diverse group of perspectives on the situation in Israel to your screen each Wednesday morning. Learn more at JewishPortland.org/slash Israel Webinars. Now, let's get started with Hannah Sherman of Greater Portland Hillel. Anna Sherman. Welcome to the Jewish Review Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on this podcast.
0: Well, we're excited to have you. So tell me a little about your Jewish journey.
1: Yeah. So I always describe my Jewish journey as being like a bit of a roller coaster. I grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles in a very, very Jewish neighborhood. When I grew up, you were either Jewish or you were Mormon. Those were like the two groups of people. And I went to public school my whole life and we had off for all of the Jewish holidays because half the school wouldn't show up if we were forced to go to school. So I always sort of like took my Jewish identity for granted a little bit. Like I always knew there was a big Jewish community and I had a place to go. Um, And then I went to college at UC Santa Cruz. Go banana slugs.
0: Yeah, my sister went there.
1: Oh, no way. I feel like there are a lot of like uh, Jewish slugs in like the greater Portland area. So I'm trying to find all of them. That's my new goal is to find all the slugs. It's a great mascot. Right? I think it's the best mascot ever. I have yet to find another mascot that beats the banana slug, honestly. Uh, But when I went to college, I was sort of looking for a Jewish community. And it was the first time where, like, I had to find it on my own, where it wasn't just, like, there and available. And even though there was, like, a large Jewish population and a large Jewish community at Santa Cruz, it was, like, not a very active Jewish community And so I went to Hillel and I was like, why are there no Jews here? Like, where are all the Jews at Hillel? And the Hillel at the time was like very much struggling. There were like five different executive directors in the four year period of time that I was at Santa Cruz. And so it was really up to us as Jewish students to sort of create what we wanted out of our Jewish identity on campus. And that's really where I sort of was not able to take that for granted. And I really had to be someone who put on the Jewish life for the rest of our community. And so I sort of like fell in love again with the Jewish community through that because it was the first time where I was like oh I get to make this what I want to make it and I was thinking about like what to do after college and being like a stereotypical middle child I was like well I have to do what my older sister did and she went straight to grad school from undergrad and so I was trying to think like what do I want to do I'm gonna go to grad school and I ended up at Brandeis out in Boston which was very different from everything I was used to as this California kid. But I did a program to be a Jewish professional. It was a, a dual master's in Jewish professional leadership in Near Eastern and Judaic studies, which is quite the mouthful, which is like a bougie way of saying nonprofit management. And I always knew that with that, I wanted to come back to the Hillel world because that's where I got to explore my Jewish identity. So I came back to the West Coast. I was at Santa Barbara Hillel for four years. And now I've been here in Portland for five and a half years, all working for Hillel.
0: So as the executive director of Greater Portland Hillel, you cover a number of campuses. We do. And one of them in particular is Portland State University, which has had some history of anti-Semitic incidents long before October 7th. Yes. Can you give us the the standing on one leg history of, <laughs> of those sorts of problems?
1: Yeah. So about seven, eight years ago at this point, in like 2016, 2017, BDS, which stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, it's a popular movement that we see, especially on college campuses. But a BDS resolution was brought to PSU's campus And not only was it a BDS resolution, it was really a time where Jewish students were not welcome on campus. This
0: was a student government resolution?
1: Correct, yeah. You know, flyers for Jewish events were torn down all over campus. Jewish students who were just trying to table and get students involved in Jewish life were spat on. Swastikas were written on dorm rooms. This was really a terrible, terrible time to be Jewish on campus. Um, And it was really a sort of a pivotal moment where it was like, where do we go from here? the Jewish community doesn't feel safe. How do we rebuild from this? And it was really up to our student leaders and Hillel staff at the time to choose to invest in Jewish joy because I think that's something that we don't see often in times of like very tragic instances. I think like now is a perfect example of this. Like we're in crisis response mode and I think that's what it was at the time also. But really turning away from that and saying we want to create these moments where Jews can feel safe, where they can be proud of their Judaism on campus. And from that, we were really able to rebuild.
0: So what was the pre-October 7th landscape like for some of the other campuses you serve for Jewish students?
1: Yeah. So we, you know, we're a small Jewish community, a small but mighty Jewish community on our campuses, especially places like Lewis and Clark and Reed, where there's... They're small schools, but for the size of the school, a relatively large Jewish population, it's always been, you know, sort of like how I grew up where it was like easy to be Jewish. I think PSU has always been a different story. There's a very small Jewish population on campus. Being a commuter student can be really challenging to just find any way to get involved in life- whether that's, you know, Jewish life or otherwise on campus. But it was sort of easy. Students showed up to our events, especially at places like Lewis and Clark. You know, we our Passover events are always extremely popular. People know about Hillel. It's like a known name, a known entity on campus. And I really think that sort of all of that set us up for the crisis response that we had to do after October 7th, where we really were the place where students were turning. Students did not know where to go. Students were feeling isolated. They were feeling alone. They were feeling scared. And it was really up to us as Hillel to sort of be there for them in that time. And we've continued to do that. And I don't think this crisis is going anywhere anytime soon. And so our goal is to be that home away from home for Jewish students.
0: What are the things that you've been seeing and that students have been telling you about their experiences in the last few months since October 7th?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our students very much live in this online world where they're in person in class, although less so at PSU. A lot of students are still taking online classes, but they're their friends are in the online world. Their classmates are in the online world. So everything goes on Instagram. Everything goes on TikTok. Everything goes on Yik Yak and all of these other many different social media platforms that I don't even attempt to understand.
0: I was about to say, what is Yik Yak? Is that actually a thing?
1: Yik Yak is a thing. And I would argue it's the most dangerous thing because it's all anonymous. So people can just post things and it is not tied to any name or any account. And so a lot like at Reed, for example, a lot of really, really horrific anti-Semitic things were said on Yik Yak. And the question is, how do you track that down. How do you report what's going on? How do you identify who is saying all of these things? And so that really has been where we as Hillel are just stepping up as that support system because students are hearing what their classmates are saying. They're hearing what their professors are saying. They're seeing other student groups sign on to really inflammatory statements saying that Israel doesn't have a right to exist, calling for You know, our student governments and our university administrators to divest from all companies that are involved in Israel and providing aid for Israel. So, this is a a time for our students where they're scared and not sure what to think and really just looking for that support in any way that they can get it.
0: Has it mostly been from, in terms of things that have happened, not just online, but in in person, in what we might call the real world, even (laughs) though online experiences are very much real? Is it mostly other students that are, that are driving these incidents or faculty teaching things that are, I don't even know if dangerous or uncomfortable or what exactly the right word is, but where is this, where's this coming from?
1: It's coming from everywhere. It Really, it's coming from professors who are using their platform in class that might have nothing to do with Israel. They might be a social work professor. They might be a history professor, but in a subject that has nothing to do with Israel-Palestine. And they're using these platforms to talk about what's going on and not only talk about, but come at it from a very biased point of view. And if you're a student, you know, you're an 18-year-old student who's in college, you're this is your first semester, you hear what your professor is saying and of course you're going to think, "Oh, that makes sense. My professor is saying it, so it must be true." And I think that's where the really dangerous part of this comes in is that professors have this platform to be able to talk about their own biases in a way that is, you know, it's viewed as part of an educational platform and I think that is really dangerous and for students who are looking for advocates in the educational field they're feeling you know isolated they're feeling as if their professors aren't a support system for them and as if they can't speak up because there are so many power dynamics that happen in the classroom and again you're a young student your professor is saying something they're grading your papers at the end of the day. They're telling you what grade you get on your assignments. It's scary to speak up and say, well, actually, I don't disagree, or I don't agree with you on that. Or actually, my family is Israeli, and this is my experience. There's no way for students to be able to feel comfortable doing that. So it's like on the professor level, and then classmates, they you know, their fellow students are, again, posting a lot of infographics on social media and bringing these conversations not only into the classroom, but into the dining hall and into the dorm room. And it's hard to, it feels inescapable truly at this point, you know, we're two months past October 7th and our students are still dealing with this every day. It's still a a topic of conversation that has not gone anywhere. In fact, it's intensified at most places. Um, And the question is for our students, you know, when they come back from winter break in a month from now, is it going to be like this again? And a lot of our students are really scared to come back in January feeling that this is going to be their whole academic year where they have to defend themselves and defend the state of Israel when they're just Jewish students on campus who want to go to class and who want to graduate and who want to make friends. And this is really something that's you know, getting in the way of all of that.
0: And a lot of whom also, I think it would be fair to say, have sympathy for what's going on in Gaza and happening to the Palestinian people who are also themselves victims of Hamas.
1: Totally. We very much live in this dichotomy where it's like you're either pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. And I very much disagree with those words because you can be both exactly what you just said. You could be a Jewish student who very much feels for the plight of the Palestinians living under Hamas right now and feel for the Israelis who are being attacked in their homes and killed. It's not an either or. And I think we're being pushed into that world where it is you must feel one way or the other. And that's just not realistic. And most of our students live in that in between. But as Jews, we are now being told like, oh, you're pro-Israel, which means you support Bibi Netanyahu and which means that you support killing of Palestinians in Gaza. And that's absolutely the farthest thing from the truth. And yet that's what we are being told about ourselves right now.
0: Have we seen the return of any of the the, the kind of things you described from Portland State a few years ago, like swastikas on buildings, like f- direct threats against Jewish students.
1: Yeah. So I would say read. Ha- we've really seen a lot of this. There have been multiple swastikas found all over campus in bathrooms, in the library. And again, like on these anonymous platforms, there have been a lot of sort of veiled threats to the Jewish community. And how much of it is real and how much of it can be tracked down is all a huge question. And that's where we're relying on our university partners right now, telling our students, fill out all of these biased reports, because if it's not reported to the university, it's not going to be taken seriously. And so any incident, any swastika, any flyer that's an anti-Israel or an anti-Semitic flyer, anything like that needs to be reported because we need to be able to track what's going on and be able to hold people accountable. At Portland State University, we saw what was sort of a BDS resolution where the student government wanted to pass an anti-violence resolution, but using Israel-Palestine as the basis for that discussion. And I'm really proud of our student leaders who, you know, this was a week and a half after October 7th, who said, this is not the time or the place to be having this conversation. We are grieving as a Jewish community in America, as a Jewish community on campus, we are grieving what is happening to our people in Israel. Please give us that time. Please give us this grace in this moment to not just try to pass some sort of symbolic resolution on campus, but really consult us and say, okay, you want to pass an anti-violence resolution? Wonderful. Let's come up with something together where it's not just about Israel-Palestine. And because of that, our students were actually able to delay that resolution, which was really a huge success for us in this world where on campuses everywhere we're seeing these horrific BDS resolutions being passed.
0: You and a number of uh, students from here in Portland, Jewish and non-Jewish, went on a uh, perspectives trip to Israel and to the West Bank earlier this year as a as a way to provide both Jewish and non-Jewish students not only with resources of information about this conflict, but with connections to one another when difficult conversations around that conflict come up. I suppose this is the last few months have sort of been the the ultimate stress test for those connections. What's the verdict? How the, how's it fared?
1: Yeah, so actually that resolution that I was just talking about at Portland State, we have a student that we took on that trip, a non-Jewish student, who's a student senator at PSU, who in that moment, in that room where the tensions were very, very high, stood up and said... The safety of our Jewish community on campus is what we should be talking about right now, not some theoretical resolution that's not actually going to make a difference on our campus. So I feel like that is the perfect example that we you know, invested the time and energy to meet these students, to bring them to Israel, to bring them to the West Bank, to see what's going on. And we did not think or anticipate that something like this was going to happen and that we would have to sort of test, okay, does this trip work? And I think we found out it does. These students, we had that student senator who stood in the room. We had about five or six other students, non-Jewish, that we took on our trip who stood in the room with us, got up and said, I went to Israel this summer. I saw what happened. Is it a perfect place? No, but no place is perfect. And why are we holding Israel to this double standard? And so to have our allies in the room stand up and say, this is not right. We have to stand up for our Jewish community on campus, I think proved that these experiences are extremely important.
0: What's been the the kind of responses you've gotten when you've gone to address these issues with university administrators and, and people in charge in the broader sense?
1: So I think there is uh, an overwhelming sense that something needs to happen to support our students on campus. A lot of statements are very vague, and I think we've seen that not only with our Portland area campuses, but on campuses everywhere that presidents put out sort of generic statements saying we support our communities on campus. We've done a lot of work behind the scenes to meet with our university presidents, our diversity, equity, and inclusion staff, many people in different student affairs divisions. And I would say that there is an understanding and an acknowledgement that our Jewish community is looking for safety and needs safety on campus, physical safety, emotional safety to what extent each university is responding to that and in a timely way, it very much depends on the day and the other situations that are happening. But I would say that overall, we found our university partners to be very supportive of our students and wanting to ensure that there's a positive campus climate.
0: You mentioned the, the support you've gotten from those student senators at, at Portland State. Have there been other bright spots, either at PSU or at other campuses, um, positive outcomes? of anything from the last few months?
1: I mean, I would say not necessarily on campus, but in the broader Portland Jewish community, there's been such an outpour of love. The amount of emails that I've gotten from community members who are saying, I'm just a Jewish person living in town. I know what it's like, or I'm reading what it's like on college campuses right now. How can we support your students? The number of people who want to host Shabbat dinners and who want to bring us food to campus, you know, that has meant so much. Because again, not only are our students... Feeling alone, but they're looking, they're, you know, their parents aren't here. And there's only so much that we as Hillel, with a staff team of three on six campuses in Portland, can provide. And so knowing that people are wanting to help our students, wanting to show up and say, we're here for you, that means the most.
0: Hannah Sherman, thanks so much for joining us on the Jewish Review podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I loved it.
0: We interrupt this podcast to let you know about Portland Jewish Academy's Work for the World Fair coming up this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Monday, January 15th, from 1 to 3 p.m. at PJA. Co-sponsored by B.B. Camp, P.J. Library, and the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland, the work for the World Fair provides preschoolers through 5th graders and their families with more than a dozen hands-on volunteer opportunities to make the world a little better. Learn more in today's Jewish Review newspaper online at jewishportland.org slash jewishreview. Now, here's Andy Gittleson from Oregon Hello, Andy Gittleson, welcome to the Jewish Review Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Rocky. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you today. And um, yeah, it's it's great to, to be with you again, as always. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So tell me a little about your Jewish journey. So I'm originally from the Midwest, from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, like many in Oregon, a transplant out here. I um, spent most of my life going to the Reform Movement, Jewish summer camps, and Nifty as a, as a youth group kid and son of a convert to Judaism. And so that's very much shaped a lot of kind of my approach to uh, Jewish life and community and, and having family from various backgrounds. Camp was a very pivotal experience for me. It really played a significant role in kind of shaping my identity, both as, as a Jew, but as a person as well. Um, and so I kind of felt like I always wanted to reconnect to that camp world uh, post-graduation after undergrad at Ball State University, where I was one of 200 Jewish kids out of 22,000. So it was a very different experience than uh, than I think our students have today. And I just kind of stumbled my way from the camping system into you know, BBYO city director, found my way to Hillel, Indiana University, and took a couple of years off in there to, to get out of the Jewish world a little bit and kind of see uh, what I'd like to do differently. And found the opportunity here at Oregon, uh, University of Oregon, back in 2012, and really fell in love with the, Eugene. I fell in love with the community and the opportunity. I walked into Oregon Hillel August of 2012. I was the only professional on staff. And for the last 12-ish years, 11 and a half years, I've been really just in, enamored and in love with Jewish Oregon.
0: So in your over-decade now at Oregon Hillel, you've seen... <laughs> Jewish student life grow and flourish in these wonderful ways, particularly, as you mentioned, at Oregon State. But I imagine you've also seen and had a unique perspective on some of the growth of anti-Semitism on college campuses. What did that look like before October 7th? When did you really start to notice that?
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, look, obviously, especially like this time of year through May, we're getting a lot of visits from seniors who have applied and gotten into Oregon and Oregon State, dating back to when I first started with Hillel in 2003. Is there anti-Semitism on campus? The answer has always been the same. Yes, we can't control stupid, right? We, we can't control, and I mean that to say we can't control someone coming in and having ideas that are hateful and hurtful and, and expressing them in the environment of a college campus. But what we can control and what we've worked really hard to do at University of Oregon and, and as we've gotten going at Oregon State is to really deepen our relationships with our campus partners, uh, not just our president. I think a lot of pressure gets put on the president of the university is the figurehead, and but, but really working with student affairs, deans of students' offices, DEI offices, to think about how is uh, the campus climate for Jewish students? How are we elevating anti-Semitism and in education into the lens of DEI? And then how are we creating a landscape that is supportive, not just of Jewish students, but of all students. You know, I think anti-Semitism is usually a linchpin. You know, if you read Eric Ward, uh, who's, who's a graduate of U of O and worked for Western State Center, is now in Portland, You know, he writes really eloquently about really, antisemitism is the common thread between white supremacist organizations. So usually when antisemitism bubbles up, other isms aren't far behind it or are happening at the same time. And so it's really been our focus to say, how do we put a support system in place that when the inevitability of an antisemitic incident occurs, we know who to contact, how to get support for that student or that family, knowing that particularly at University of Oregon, about, I would say like 85, 90% of our Jewish student population is probably coming from out of state. We don't have empirical data on that because self-identifying, that's always a challenge. But how do we make sure those students who, even if they're from Portland or Eugene or Corvallis, wherever they're from, they have the support they need. And those relationships take a long time. You know, We're not embedded in our universities. Uh, most of the Hillel's across North America primarily were separate 501c3 nonprofits that function um, in partnership with our universities, and there's other great Jewish organizations, Chabad's, and other you know, and other great uh, orgs that really help weave together the fabric of Jewish life on our campuses. Hillel, in general, is uniquely positioned that we typically are the ones with the deeper relationships. We also are, are, are committed to engaging with the non-Jewish student population for the purposes of finding support. We know our students are living with roommates and friends, and fraternity brothers and sisters, and so how can we welcome those folks? Show them a bit of who we are, right? which is a long answer to your question, but, but, you know, that's been our approach over the years is, is again, we can't control anti-Semitism. We've had incidents, whether it's been someone drawing something on a, on a whiteboard outside of a dorm room, posting a flyer around campus, verbal comments, whether it's, Uh, we would call them liquid courage, verbal comments on a Friday night of students who've maybe had a little bit too much to drink and they think they're being funny and maybe it's not intended. And then very directly intended incidents, right, that that are directed towards students. And so ensuring that we get those reported, making sure that it gets on the university's radar, we can support those students in the wake of those incidents and make sure whether I've gone to mediation um, on behalf of a student who is part of a, a more uh, significant um, anti-Semitic incident over the years and making sure that they had the support that they needed. And and so that's been our approach. That's what it's always looked like. Um, Sometimes it bubbles up more or less. Oftentimes, the more challenging thing is is the the non-campus community and how does that impact anti-Semitism? So there was a pretty famous incident a few years back at the ULO and at OSU. The following year, where a known white supremacist neo-Nazi drove up onto campus with a, a van, la- a truck laden with really horrible, you know, Nazi symbols and and swastikas and horrible imagery and. Put his money in the parking meter and you know, stood on the back of his truck and said awful things. And then the university, when his meter was up, ex- escorted him off campus. That we, you know, those are folks that are coming from the outside. They're coming into free speech zones and, and areas on campus that it is unfortunate protected speech. But then, how do we support the students in the wake of that protected speech? And it, and it happens not just with with anti semitism. We get street preachers that say pretty awful misogynistic things. We get you know folks that say things that are anti LGBTQ. We get people that come in and preach against, you know, migrant communities and, and and our Muslim friends as well too, those things exist on our campus. And that's the struggle between, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and then supporting the students who are harmed by that speech, and then working with the general councils of the university to make sure that if things go over a line, that we have some of the levers that, that are in place to to ensure that when it crosses a line, it doesn't happen again. We do the best that we can to prevent it in the future.
0: Well, you mentioned that campus climate. How has that changed, if at all, in the wake of October 7th? Yeah. What, is it, what does it look like for students right now to be Jewish at UO and OSU?
2: No, it's a great question. I'll start at 30,000 feet because the answer is really different depending on the campus that you're at. I think that we've seen on the news campuses that are really struggling with high visibility. Cornell University is, is a pretty well-known incident where you had direct threats made against Jewish community in a Jewish living center. Um, there was a, a real sense of fear among that campus. You know, there's other other campuses that deal with it on a more regular basis I wouldn't even say pro-Palestinian, but anti-Israel, right? That that, that delves directly into anti-Semitism. Not, you know, not entirely every time a group of people support Palestinians is it delve into anti-Semitism. But some of these instances are just, they're abrupt, they're in your face, and they're, they're undeniable. Um, and other campuses have been more quiet, right? And so we're trying to, as, as a Hillel movement, we're trying to paste the picture together to understand where things are happening more often, where they're not. And we're seeing a difference... And a lot of the campuses that are in more urban settings, right, where there is a larger population around them. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you have a larger number of ideas that can be generated. And therefore, you have people that might assemble and and come together that want to disrupt or, you know, and and do those things. And and they're challenged by a whole different set of challenges that we're currently not seeing down at U of O and OSU. it would be nice to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, it's because we've spent all this time and we've built all these relationships and maybe that's part of it, right? But I don't think so. I, I do think it's, you know, the size of the communities, it's the the ideas that exist within those communities and those pouring onto the college campus. So for O and OSU, it's been relatively, so to speak, in that landscape that we were talking about with some, some really heavy incidents happening, it's been fairly quiet. We've had a couple of rallies. We've held a couple of, you know, vigils to support and remember, you know, those lost in the horrific terrorist attacks on October 7th. And we've been grateful that those who don't share our ideas have not protested us and have allowed us to have our space as well, too. And I think that's part of it, right? So how do we avoid conflict sometimes? It's just by not engaging with each other. But as we've been listening to our students, you know, there are some that are just going about their daily business as they would any other day, right? They, they don't feel any more or less anxious or worried. They don't necessarily have a sense of physical safety. They feel comfortable to wear a Jewish star, Megan David, or a or different things like that to identify. We have you know, students that Really don't want to come to things where it's large Jewish spaces, right? They, they really have this kind of sense that a fear uh, about being in those spaces and, and what will happen if. Uh, we've certainly, like many other Jewish institutions, increased our security. You know, we've ensured because October 7th happened, you know, on Simchat Torah and Achag, and then on a Saturday, you know, we made sure that we sent resources over to Chabad, right, on campus because we knew that. Rabbi Beryl, who's wonderful, was not probably gonna be in the loop. And so we wanted to make sure that they had the resources there to ensure that they could be safe as well too. And so i think it brought a real sense of community i think that we're not really used to um i think we're really as jewish institutions tend to be siloed in in our spaces and want to own our things and put our hexure and stamps on things and and i think in the moments following october 7th there's a real sense of you know what koh israel like we're all in this together right to to whatever degree we can hash out the other differences on theologies and and how we observe things and you know our level of kashrut or not all that stuff right but for the moment we need to be there for each other and i think um, we've seen that on our campus. We've had students who are involved in and you know multiple Jewish organizations that have come together to plan visuals and rallies, and it's been less about who's there, but all of us rolling up our sleeves and saying, what can we do to support you? I think we've seen a slight, you know, we've seen a slight impact in terms of turnout at certain events and different things, right? I think there's just a sense of where people's comfort level is, but overall, we're still engaging, you know, at U of O, well over 450 Jewish students, 580 total students at Oregon State. Um, We've already connected with more students than we did through May of last year, you know, which is fantastic. And it's telling about that need for community to want to come together.
0: And how have in your conversations with individual students, one on one, how have the the attacks affected them and the the aftermath of those attacks that they've seen? Maybe not just on campus, but in sure. in the wider world, particularly online, because we know that you know the the virtual yeah. world is also the real
2: world. Yeah. Look, you know. I'll take a step back on this one because it's we're a little unique. We were in Israel August 29th to September 9th with 44 students, 22 leadership students from each campus, University of Oregon, Oregon State. Of the 44, 34 were non-Jewish student leaders, right? And then 10 were Jewish student leaders. Hannah Reina a similar trip at the beginning of the summer for PDX Hillel. It's a great project. But we were in Kafaraza exactly one month prior to uh, October 7th. It was one of our last stops while we were there. Um, And we toured around with with one of the kibbutzniks, one of the members of the kibbutz, who shared her life, um, what it's like to live there, what it's like to live under rocket attack, their hopes and dreams for peace and a different future for their kids. And as we left, we stopped at the Khadarokhel, which is the dining hall. Um, at the kibbutz, we start to fill up water bottles, you know, the basic stuff where you get on a bus and you get ready to head out. And it happened to be just at the time that the elementary school was letting out on the kibbutz. And so we're sitting there watching in the center of the kibbutz, these children on their dad's shoulders and walking through the, the middle of the kibbutz, playing with their dogs, playing Frisbee, you know, this, this joyous sense of life. It was one of the last memories that I and these 44 students and our staff had um, collectively together. The woman that went through with us, her husband was murdered on October 7th. Many of those children um, that were there are, are not alive. They're not with us. Some are some are kidnapped. Some have been released. Some are still there. We don't know the whereabouts of others, right? And so in the immediate aftermath, not only did we see you know our jewish students that were on campus that either have family friends relatives in israel that are processing those that have a deep connection to israel processing those that have very little or a challenge connection to israel also processing in our space our building was open to welcome them in eugene we held some open spaces in corvallis that were accessible for our osu students but one of the most heartwarming and touching things was a group of our non-jewish student leaders that were on that trip with us that came up with flowers and and Duffed animals for comfort, and you know, joined the community as one community with us, and cried with us, and you know, shared their frustrations and their feelings and their worry. Right, and I think in that moment, it was less about Jewish Oregon, Oregon State, and more about a student community, right, coming together around this. Now we're global universities. We have people that have Palestinian descent, we have Israeli descent, right? We have Jews, we have Muslims, we have you know Christians, it's this. so the idea that there's one way to feel in the wake of this, you know, is, that's impossible, right? It's an impossible thing. But that sense of community was different. I don't think, you know, 12 years I've been there, we've had the tree of life shooting, we've had multiple flare-ups between Hamas and Israel over, you know, over the time and different operations that have taken place. This was unique in that sense of people seeing the immediate humanity and and really in that moment, um, feeling deeply pained, anger, frustration, sorrow, kind of all simultaneously. I don't want to say that we were glad to be there, but it was great that we could host that space and bring that community together and be collectively be that support.
0: So the the sort of pro-Palestinian demonstrations that I imagine are happening on campuses at at Oregon and Oregon State, have those... As you mentioned, you've given each other sort of space, but have those pro Palestinian demonstrations dipped into some of the anti Israel rhetoric that we're seeing elsewhere or gone farther than that into just blatant anti Semitism?
2: You know, look, I'll say 100%. You know, there's been two at the U of O. There was one at Oregon State that was actually organized by a a Palestinian student, student of Palestinian descent that's on campus. um, And in partnership with an Israeli student who was very much like, the two of them were like, you know, or had Israeli was like, listen to Israelis, listen to Palestinians, listen to Muslims, listen to Jews, right? Like, listen to the viewpoints. Like, that to me is a healthy space, right? Like, I, I may disagree with some of the statements that were made there, but if we're creating space for other voices, like, that that can be okay. You know, I'll be honest rockney the the rallies are the rallies they're they're almost what we expect them to be right my bigger challenge and where i think that the bigger issue is especially in university settings is this idea of academic freedom and professors who are seemingly teaching a class that has nothing to do with the israeli-palestinian conflict and they stop doing what their syllabus says and they shift gears totally into the space of the israeli-palestinian conflict whether it's closing the door and talking about their own political beliefs about you know why someone should support which side showing videos that again nothing to do with medical ethics or have nothing to do with english 101 right these are they're using their platform right that to me is more troubling that's where i'm really appreciative and i think that while our relationships we've built over the years haven't been the reason things have been calmer on our campuses I do think the responses that we've gotten are directly tied to the relationships that Hillel has built with our academic uh, units. Um, we had an incident with a professor at U of O, and within not even a half day, a message goes out from the chancellor and the provost basically saying to the to the faculty and GTFs, the graduate teaching fellows, stay on topic. Your classrooms are the space for learning about the subjects that you're teaching. right? Um, I would have less of an issue if a faculty member said to students after class was over, hey, if anybody wants to stick around and talk about this thing happening, I'm happy because now you've opened the door and students can choose without penalty for their grades. You know, you're almost held hostage as a student to a degree where you don't want to necessarily push back in those spaces. And I think what's even more challenging for students that I think we're all seeing on our campuses are the Jewish students who vocalize their support for uh, Israel or denounce, you know, Hamas and terrorism or might be challenging some, you know, narratives in classrooms, then get looked to to be the voice of the Jewish people or to speak on behalf of all of Israel. And That's an unreasonable request that no one else would be made to do in any other situation. And so I think, you know, and where we're starting to see the challenges are, and this is really bubbling up from our staff teams as they've been interacting with these different different academic units is, you know, why is it that? The Jewish community can't define what anti-Semitism is, or people tell us, like, that's not anti-Semitism. You're just, you're just taking it too seriously, right? Or, or you're not reading into it the right way. But would we ask the same thing of our other minority underrepresented communities? Like Would we trust a woman when she says something is misogynistic? But then, no, 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 you're just being overblown. Like, would we say the same thing for our Asian American community or our, or our Black community, right? Like, no, if you tell me that it's anti-Black racism, I'm going to believe you. Now, if you have internal conflict about what that means, that there's differing opinions within the African-American, and black community about what is and what isn't, that's no different than the Jewish community where you have anti-Zionist Jews and Zionist Jews. That's an internal conversation that we should have the agency and the right to have without challenge from the outside community. Their job is to listen to us. And when we say it is or it not listen to us. You know, we should be afforded that same, that same support. Andy
0: Gettelson, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Jewish Review Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Rafne. I appreciate it.
0: That's a wrap for this episode of the Jewish Review Podcast. Thanks to Hannah Sherman and Andy Gittleson for sharing their experiences and for all they do for Jewish college students throughout Oregon. And a special mazel tov to Andy as he takes on a new role with Hillel International, mentoring Hillel staff around the country. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice to help others find our show and click subscribe to get our latest episode every two weeks. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out by email to editor at jewishportland.org. The Jewish Review Podcast is a production of the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland. Special thanks to Daniel Berger. Our theme music is by Isaac Joel. I'm Rocky Roll. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, all the best.